We believe you have a story to share. For 2,000 years, humankind has believed in the power of story. In healthcare, we're finding ways to better heal those who are in front of us. Join us as we explore healing stories now. Well, I want to welcome everyone to another edition of Healing Stories podcast, where we say that everyday miracles and everyday life. And it's my great honor to be with one of the great healers that I have witnessed over the years, Dr. Michelle Getz, who is a hospice and palliative care physician and someone who is a leader in her health system and someone who I believe helps us to understand what Healing Stories is all about. So Dr. Getz, as we begin every podcast, I begin with one question, and that is, could you tell us who you are? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I am a small town girl, grew up in a very small rural area of Illinois, um, outside of Peoria, and um, stayed in Illinois for most of my schooling until medical school, where I then went to another small town, Kirksville, Missouri, um, where I then, in my between my second and third year, met my my husband now of 10 years and happily married with three beautiful young children, a five-year-old, just started kindergarten, um, almost four-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old, all girls, and they keep us very busy and it's the light of my life. And it's been really, really important, I think, um, to, to have that additional hope and love and, and just a different viewpoint. Family has been um, even more important to me as I've been walking with patients and families and my peers on our very interesting journey of this this almost year, almost one year thus far. Um, it's always funny. You think you have things figured out and you have plans, and then life life happens. And so it's been very important to me, my family and my husband, and having that relationship to just really help kind of provide to me a, a resiliency and a a hope of sorts as as we do what we do each and every day, which is to serve and to help one another. And in small and big ways. So um, I've been very busy with um, um, working as a hospitalist. And in fact, just finished up a shift um, there, helping with admissions um, with that. And um, and then, of course, my role in uh, palliative medicine has become even, even more important as the healthcare system I'm working for has really noted and importance and have asked me to take on um, additional leadership roles and bringing palliative medicine um, to all patients and family members um, all across um, our healthcare system that, that we do today. And so it's been very exciting to take on that additional leadership role, still have my feet in internal medicine and um, stay grounded with my family. So I think that's a long-winded way to describe kind of who I am and where I'm at and, and maybe even where all of us are on this interesting journey we're taking together. Well, you say so much that is of a beautiful life. And I can't help but think as you talked about your girls, and you know, that's one of the things we share is raising girls. When I was just in the car with my family, Cindy Lopper's song, Girls Just Want to Have Fun came on. And <laughs> I couldn't help but think that in our period of time, and you've just ended a shift, uh, we've really tried to learn about what does resilience mean and how what is fun now. 
and also recognizing this feminine energy that is within our world to deal with the the pandemic, to deal with Mm -hmm. uh, healing. And I wanted to start there and just talking about how you have dealt with this. How have you, as a as a physician, a hospitalist, just ending your shift? How have you had fun? But then also, how have you dealt with the resilience that this is needed? Um, because I think we're all at that uh, in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think so too. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. Many times I feel myself in overwhelm and I use it as a present tense because that, that is literally how I, I feel sometimes not overwhelmed. It's not something of the past. It's something that just kind of waxes and wanes. It would seem um, in overwhelm. And I, I've said it before, and I think it, it, it bears witness to say it again. This, this pandemic has given me a taste of what many of my patients with chronic serious illness feel and live with every single day, every single day. When will I have an exacerbation of heart failure? Will my cancer come out of remission? Is it no longer quiescent? When will I have a COPD? When will I get my next pneumonia, sepsis? You you name it. This has given me a sense of of a little bit of what I feel every day. Am I safe? Is my family safe? are, are those that I love and care for in my immediate vicinity? Are we safe and well? And, and when you start to go down that path, it, again, it can be quite overwhelming and too, too much. And so I have to ground myself and I have to remind myself, I am in my home. I am safe. My children are here. My, I have, my parents are safe and well. I have a job. I make a difference in my job. I just start to remind myself almost as a mantra what is real in this moment? And sometimes I have to start very, very small. I have to literally say, I am sitting on the couch or I'm sitting in a chair. I am at my desk. I feel the, the weight of the chair underneath of me. I am taking a breath in. I literally have to take it almost sometimes elemental. Um, but I think the things that I brought forward and what I really try to give to my patients, my, fa- my family members, my their, their family members, to everyone that I'm able to speak with is a focus on gratitude. I think that that is an extremely important place to really handle all and everything in life. You know, I I think as um, there, there is a a book by um, Viktor Frankl um, um, in man's suffering. And I think that that really speaks to how can, how can you find good? How can you find hope? How can you still find joy and meaning in the worst? And he was living through the Holocaust, you know, how, how can you do that? And I don't compare. There's no difference. It, it, there's no need to compare what we're going through together collectively throughout the entire world. It is traumatic. It has changed the way we live. It has changed the way we interact with people. And there is grief with that. And I think it's okay to, to give that its certain grief. And it is absolutely appropriate and well to give, of course, that the meaning of the Holocaust and what that meant. It's grief and, and what it needs as well. But I think we're collectively, we're all grieving in many ways and it's really challenging and so when you start to go down that path of overwhelm I go back to the elemental what is real what is good about this day what is okay and joyful now and I think that's really important and I've been actually reminding a lot of my peers of that too are as they are in constant overwhelm the nurses um, that, that I, I, I see and we provide care to patients. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And it's, it's become even 
even more challenging and more um, acute as as we face each day and a lot of unknown. When when will this end? When when will we have a light at the end of the tunnel? And if and when we do have a vaccine, will is that is that it? Is that is that is everything okay then? You know, we don't know, right? We just don't know. Again, a taste of what my patients live with every single day. So it's been really important to to help my patients who deal because cancer is still here, heart failure, COPD, it's all still very much here. And now this. So it's been very important that um, many times together with my patients, we do some mindfulness, we do some breathing because there's really nothing, I don't have anything else as I'm walking the same journey with them. So I think that's important. In regards to fun, how have I brought fun into, into work, the workplace and into my home? As I, as I think, think to my home, I, uh, I really have tried to keep birthdays and everything just as special. So I'm still on my cricket making banners and doing everything. My daughter has um, a birthday in two weeks, a dinosaur and donut birthday party. So we'll have a breakfast with my parents who are bubbling with us and we'll have them over. And I have banners I'm putting up and we'll have, we'll have the watering hole where they'll have orange juice because that's my girl's favorite special holiday drink to get. They don't get it terribly often. <laughs> And so they'll have orange juice and we'll have, you know, donuts and just a number of things. And, and they have their special little dinosaur tails to wear. And I just, I think just giving, you know, usually we would have very large parties and lots of people over. And it's just a time for everyone to just join together and just celebrate and just, just have another thing. And we're still going to keep the essence of that present. It's just in a different, a different way. And for the holidays, we're decorating the house, you know, we're, we're doing that. We're trying to keep up with all of the things that we would still do, typically we'd go to um, the Powell Hall to the symphony um, for one of their, their Christmas movies and um, symphonies that they perform or the Nutcracker. And so this year we're having the Nutcracker brought to us virtually and we'll do a wonderful catered meal with one of the Nutcracker characters delivering us our special our special meal to our door. And so we look, we look forward to that. So we just, we keep it up that way. Um, it's just different. It's just different. This is us to be creative and innovative. And the creativity helps with our grief and it helps yeah. with our being overwhelmed. And the yes. mindfulness that you talk about is very real. Even right now, as people listen to us, no matter where they are, they can recognize they're sitting, they're, they're standing, their body moment, they're breathing. Um, and all of a sudden, this rush of emotion is there but it's not always gonna be there and exactly i you and i talked about mr rogers um and i'm so struck by him i just finished his biography because yeah talking about dealing with emotion and as a parent in covid as a full-time physician in covid and just an up-and-coming leader in a huge health system mr rogers seems practical uh, yeah. son, how do I deal with the mad that is in me when I feel like I can bite? I have felt in that myself, but then also in our health systems, we have a little more bite because our, our, our nerves are frayed. We are exhausted. How do we come to understand that there are helpers out there, which I believe you really are, Michelle. You are a helper. And how can we help those who listen on this podcast to go and seek those helpers to deal with what it is we're feeling? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's a big, that's a big question. You know, I think even, even taking it a step back and, and something that I think that Mr. Rogers does, and now um, Daniel Tiger, uh, you know, that, that spinoff of that my children have grown up with um, uh, of Mr. Rogers. I think that's important too. Um, I think one of the first places you have to start is labeling what, what you have to acknowledge it, right? Like, it's challenging. And and oftentimes our language does not give service to what we are feeling. Sometimes, sometimes it's deeper than mad. Sometimes, so, you know, especially I, I mean, we've just briefly talked on grief. Is this grief? It's really quite prolonged. Is that what I feel? I don't quite have any other word necessarily to, to describe a loss of what, a, of what the life and the ease that I had prior, you know? Um, so, so perhaps it's the next best thing I have to really describe. Does it go on this long? Is this how it's supposed to feel? Um, and I, I don't, I don't have answers to that, but I think you've labeled the, the very first step is being able to put to some sort of use our language of what you're feeling. Cause if you cannot label it, well, how are you supposed to know when you're, you're reaching that level? How are you supposed to know the intensification of it? Um, and so that's something that I actually work with my, my children and actually in palliative medicine, it's what I do a lot with my patients, surprisingly. I, I don't think people would necessarily expect that. I think they think, well, that's probably for a counselor, you know, that's, that's probably something for a chaplain, but I, a person is a whole, they are mentally, are emotional, they are spiritual and they are physical. And the easiest part of treating a patient is the physical. As crazy as that sounds, the easiest part is treatment. And I did not say cure. The treatment is physical. The hardest part is helping a body, a whole, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually label, acknowledge, or try to find some some way to, and I don't even know if necessarily peace is the right way, but some sort of stability or peace. Where am I right now? How am I? How do I feel? And so I think acknowledging and labeling is one of the first things to do. And then you're right. What do you, what do you do with it? And I think we've all got different coping strategies, don't we? I mean, we all do for some, for some, we see it in our patients. I see, I see it in every day smoking. That would be one alcohol drugs. I, I treat many people with substance use disorder because you know what? They get cancers, they get CHF, they get COPD too. They need wraparound services. They need someone to be able to take care of all of them, all of them, you know, but it, it's all a coping strategy for us, for others, you know, some exercise too, too in, intensely. It's too much, right? That, and then, then something so helpful becomes something a little bit unhealthy and, and of, of a problem of sorts. We've all got strategies. Is it, is it that glass of wine or is it that chocolate, you know? And again, not wrong or bad. Everything is typically fine, as long as it's not in excess. Um, and so I think you're right. It's finding those coping strategies, not only in the moment when you feel overwhelmed in that moment, in that space, in that time, with which I think that grounding, when you just kind of are seeing that worry and you cannot get to sleep and you don't know what to do, that grounding exercise that we spoke of is really helpful. But I think then to being able to acknowledge and then find some sort of coping strategy. I think all get coping strategies, like it has to be something kind of concrete and discrete, you know. Um, but in fact, it could be as simple as anything we do with our children every day. Distraction. 
distraction. That's a very health, helpful thing. Um, you know, reorientation. What do we? What do they say to do with a child who's crying and upset? Move them to a different room, <laughs> right? Movement. <laughs> Movement. And I was thinking too, in terms of um, those who are having uh, higher symptoms of mental health and depression, and also postpartum depression or whatever yeah. that. We have a lot of moms who listen to this podcast. Movement uh, from the shamans and from the ancient healers has always been something to get the water going. And you're right. Yeah. Take it to another level of movement, of obsession. But you're so helpful to us. I'm so touched by you. You are accepting that we are all struggling to find how to cope. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're, we're doing something new. And different. We've never lived through a pandemic before. What are you supposed to do? Uh, what are you supposed to say? How are you supposed to be encouraging and realistic? How do you find a balance there? And when it comes down to it, we're, we're kind of all of them. <laughs> what do you need right then and there? And be okay with that. I, I've been reminding my patients a lot that um, emotions, especially intense emotions, they do not stay right? A high, a high, high, like what you may have experienced on your wedding day or one of the best days of your life, the birth of your child, that high joy and intensity of that, it doesn't stay. It's always joyful and a happy moment. And it brings a smile to your face when you think, but I think a lot of times emotions are like a train. And I think you have to kind of acknowledge it, witness that train coming in, joy, anger, frustration, deep sadness, deep grief, acknowledge it, Rest in it, lean in it for a minute. I think we're very much a culture that tries to avoid bad, you know? But the thing is, like, how would you know what is good or joyful or meaningful if you did not have the opposite of that? It's, a, you know, God gave us these emotions to feel for a reason. If he did not, we would not have it. We would not have it. Again, it comes down to that question Mr. Rogers asked, what do you do with it? So I've really been encouraging people to just lean into it a little bit. It's not going to stay. It won't stay there. And just like a train, it will move on. And you will find some sort of baseline. You will find some place to where you can literally and figuratively just take a breath and, and be knowing another train's going to come. Hopefully a good and joyful one, right? But, but it is what it is. You do, not, you do not know. And we can manage it. We can handle it just like you did that last time. You know, it will, it will not stay. The intensity of emotions augments and mutates and moves. It evolves, if you will. And so I think that's important to note. It's the same with chronic pain, pain, physical pain, which is very much, again, physical, emotional, and likely sometimes spiritual involvement of that too. The intensity those doesn't last. The pain crisis doesn't last. Perhaps we use some physical tools with which to help. Perhaps we don't because the physical tools only take you so far. Perhaps it really does come down to leaning into that recognizing it will not stay, it will pass and kind of, kind of letting it be instead of something that you fight, something you kind of push away and say, I should not feel that. I cannot feel that. Lean into it a little bit and, and let it, let it rest and just have, have the hope that just like, like we have the hope today, this, what we're living with, this collective grief, this, this suffering that we're bearing witness to it, it will not stay. It will change. It will evolve. And we will be here. We will be okay. This too shall pass. Uh, yeah. Your image of the train makes me wonder, you have been with people as they die. It's your yeah. 
we're calling. And are we all wondering if that train is coming for us in this COVID mm-hmm. sooner? And what are you seeing that that's doing to us as a humanity? Uh, if the death, um, the book, The Five Invitations is something I've been reading uh, from a, a real mindfulness Zen expert, but we're all in a place that we've never been before. And are you seeing that people are now confronting death uh, in their own way or just our, our kind of fragility? And how do, we, how do we make sense of that train? Because for some oh. of us, than I think they ever thought it would. No matter how much money they made, how many how many uh, accolades or trophies they had, they just can't escape this virus. No, right? This this virus, it just wants to live. That's all it wants to do. It will find a host in any place that will host it. It just wants to live. I think that we need to be reminded of that. I think I've been um, I think I've been a little bit shocked by how quickly healthcare workers have come from being heroes, really lauded and and put on pedestals. And I was very uncomfortable with that because I never saw myself as that either. That's not why I do what I do every day. That's not what I got into. My my friends would message me and I actually would be very uncomfortable with that. The times as I sit here now where we are and, and, you know, I've, I've, I've heard mean and terrible things said, you know, and different things said at me or my choices of what I choose to do with mask wearing or a number of things or, or virtually my, my daughter's in virtual kindergarten. That's, that's, that's been a choice. I've been very blessed to have that choice to do that. Um, it's, it's been, it's been really challenging to kind of see a, not, not a flip side, but again, it's a coping strategy, isn't it? People trying to control the things that they can control. And I have to remind myself of that. This is, this is a reflection of how they are trying to cope with their emotions as they're dealing with that very question you've just brought forward because they're seeing death too. It feels like almost everybody knows someone of someone who has been touched by this virus irrevocably death or very serious critical illness of which a life that we once knew was never to return to that same level. You know, we've all been touched in some way and it's, it's hard. And again, we've never been touched so broadly. So everyone by this as much as we have now, and it's really the most difficult thing to do with disease and any disease is bear witness to suffering. We just don't do that terribly well. You, as I, as I, and with caregivers and they're struggling and they don't know what to do and they just want to ease the suffering. They just want to, I remind them they're doing it all just right. I think we don't tell each other that enough. We just don't say it enough to one another. You're doing it all just right. You didn't miss anything. You couldn't have done anything stronger, harder, longer, shorter, more, less. You did it all just right, just right. And I remind people, they're doing something much more powerful than what any medicine can love. They're bearing witness to suffering and they're doing it with love. And it just, it just, I can, I just as much as we're kind of a society that tries to clear, steer clear of bad, bad feelings. I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't do this, etc. I think we're also a society that really kind of steers clear of death, which is a really funny thing because in fact, that's what God put us on this earth to do. You come on this earth, you love like Jesus, you come home to me when I say it's time. 
like that's that's really that's the promise that's that's what is is in our our faith um that 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 I personally believe and um we all just take a different journey loving like Jesus as as we're here and doing that it's all a bit different for us and I remind caregivers I remind myself I remind the nurses on the ICU floor they're doing it all just right they're bearing witness to suffering there's no medicine that can take this away there's no medicine that stops what we are seeing. Thank goodness we have tools in our toolbox that we can ease the suffering. If we cannot take away the disease, at least we can help a person to feel less suffering and they can know that we are with them. Because that love, that love, that feeling of not being alone is the, one of the most important gifts we can ever give someone. And, and there's no, you know, you, it has to come from a person that cannot come from a pill, that cannot come from a nasal cannula oxygen that comes from being with one another. And I think we have to be really creative. We just had Thanksgiving. How do how were we with one another, right? We had to get creative. We had to use our virtual methods. We had to, to do different things. We're using snail mail in my family now more than ever as I send cards and and little things to to my husband's mom who's not quite in our bubble and and um um because of, of proximity and things this way so we just have to get creative how do we how do we show love how do we bear witness to suffering how do we still let one another know you're here you're doing it all just right you're doing everything just right and so I think that's really important to remember as always you are one of the great champions of <laughs> being people for who they are. Oh, thank you. When you see them for who they are. You want to tell them that they're doing amazing work. You are, I, I remember one of my great mentors, Father Welsh, saying, God is just wild about you, Martin. And I don't know why that is so hard for us to share within our own lives, our, our, our loving marriages, our, our relationships, the people we work with every day. Can you imagine if you created a culture where you walked in and people said to you, God's just wild about you. And it seems that what you have done in this short time in your own story is to allow that to be your own mantra. Yeah. How yeah. someone asked you, Dr. Getz, how do I integrate this? How, how do I become whole? What would you say to them? That's kind of our final question. Oh, goodness. A hard question. I think, um, how do you become whole? You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to say because even as I sit here now, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel whole, even myself, right? I I don't. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all just right. <laughs> as much as I would like to, as much as when someone says I do, oh man, do I live on that for some time, right? It it really it helps. It helps as that train's going through that station and I'm struggling. It helps. It helps. So I, it's very difficult to say. I would say, in fact, it comes from knowing. It comes from faith. I, I, I don't think that there's anything more to be said. It comes from a hope that whatever we are going through, it, it will not stay. And it comes from a willing to witness to what's really important. And as you first asked me who I was, and I wasn't quite sure how I would answer that or what would come out. But in fact, what really came out was a family. And after that came 
who, who I am, what I practice, how I help, how I feel that God calls me to serve, right? It came family and then how I'm called to serve and a little bit of my journey and where I practice now getting there. I think it comes from going down to those basic elements and, and allowing those elements to, to really guide you, to not lose sight of that, that when everything is going wrong and challenging and you don't feel whole at all, you can, you can look at what, what is important to you. For me, it would be my, my daughters. And I would look at them and I would say, okay, we're doing something right here. We're doing something right. My daughters have manners. When they look at me and they say, mommy, I love you. Man, is that just doing something right, right? When, when you have created a family and they can show love and they can show respect and they can show empathy for others, um, for themselves, to have, a, you know, as I look at my, my almost four-year-old now, and she is just the sweetest, and she will just say, Madison, be brave. You know, when she has to do something scary or something that she's nervous about, Madison, be brave. And she talks herself up. How does she learn that? I, I, need, to, I need to do more of that. You know, Michelle, be brave. You can do this. You've got this, right? I'm just like, man, it's just, I, I think it comes down to looking at what is important to you making sure that that is in right relations, making sure that is, is good, making sure that you're putting your energy into what matters most to you. And I think that's really how you, you go to sleep at night. You know, um, the patients that I'm admitting when we are finished here, I will go back into their chart just to make sure that everything is lined up. Everything is just right. And just make sure those, those orders, or if there's any questions or concerns, because I, I will sleep well tonight knowing that that person who is, who is loved, I just, one of them is a COVID patient. Um, and, and, and he is, he is struggling. He is struggling. Um, and, and hopefully he will be well, we have tools in which to try to stabilize COVID disease and the sequelae of COVID. Hopefully his body takes those tools, responds to it and he stabilizes. I hope, I pray that that happens. I was, I was talking to his wife and she's worried. She is just full of worry. And she shares with me how they have done everything just right. They have social distance. They have worn their masks. They have done everything just right. But it comes down to what we've said in the beginning, right? This virus just wants to live. It just wants to live. And that's what I told her. She needed, she was begging me to tell her, you did. You did it just right. She needed to be told that. She needed that to be acknowledged. She needed that. Um, and so, I, I'm, you know, this being a doctor, you're not just a doctor to that patient, to that, that man with COVID sequelae laying in that bed, too tired to speak with me. But I was a doctor to that wife who supports that patient, who needs that patient. This, this, is, this is a man who is a husband and a father. And you know he's so many to so many other people. It's a, it's a trickle down effect. We often think that our lives are very siloed, but they're not. You know, interestingly, I wasn't sure if I would speak of this, but I will just share briefly. Um, we have had two suicides um, in our social circle. One, um, an elementary school teacher at my child's grade school, and the other, our neighbor. And I just, just am, am reeling from that. I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know I was bearing witness to suffering when we, when we spoke. And again, that's not a fault of mine. It's not, no one missed anything, right? No one did anything wrong. 
But I think to that and I think, my gosh, how they, they did not feel whole. Where if we had just had a moment or, or if, you know, you always go down that path, if, if, if. But I always remind myself too, as you do that, and you, I think it's important to allow yourself to go down. Could I have made any difference? Could I have done something differently? Should I, could I, would I? It's important to do that, but not rest there. And so after I had done that, particularly with the na- our neighbor, I said, okay, I did everything I could, everything I knew I could do. Now what? Now what? And I really had to, my husband and I, we really had to work on ourselves as we dealt with that loss, that friendship, that that support, that neighbor that is no more. And now supporting his his um wife and two sons, you know, and and we will. We will, we will, we will be there, we will bear witness to suffering. I um I texted his his wife and I said, I text you not for information or for you to even respond, but simply for you to know that I am here and I will continue to text every so often to let you know I am here because I cannot take this suffering away. Just like the COVID patient I shared with you, the suffering that COVID patient's wife is feeling as she was spiraling with what if, could I have, should I have? It's okay to do that, but no, you did it just right. And I'm gonna be here to bear witness to your suffering like I said, the easy part, oh, easy to test COVID antibodies, easy to write for convalescent plasma. It's easy to do all the physical things that, that physicians get lauded for. The most difficult thing is to do what I'm going to do with this, this wife. I'm going to bear witness to suffering. I don't. I wish there was some sort of convalescent plasma to give that could ease some of that. There's, there's not. I'm going to bear witness. And so I think that that's important to not become deplete as you do as you do so that bearing witness to one's suffering does not become your own we're all on our own journey we're all on our own path doing god's work but that when it feels right when it feels like the right thing when something's put on your heart and you feel that you should be reaching out to someone or perhaps an idea comes to your mind it came there for a reason <laughs> And I think just maybe being sensitive to that, being sensitive to listening to that will make all the difference when I lay my head down at night that I did what God put me on this earth to do. I listened. I bared witness to suffering, that suffering's not my own. And I find ways, just as we've spoken of previously, of how do I manage it when I am in a state of overwhelm? Because I, I am, I am. I ground myself, I do my breathing, I move, I look at what is good and meaningful and joyful, even when I am in the state of overwhelm. And I think that is not necessarily maybe how I feel whole, but how I feel that I've done what God called me to do. And I can rest and lay my head down on my pillow at night. And isn't it so much about how we are as a neighbor and how we... Themselves in your story, and in that suicide is real, and that wanting to see people, even if they are suffering, is real, and that you are in that daily. And I can't thank you enough. And thank you for what you do to let people be who they are 
And whether it is a neighbor or whether it is a patient or whether it is a spouse, that standing in suffering is part of our own humanity. And I want to thank you for being that encourager, uh, for being that trusted thought partner as we do think about how we are as healers, how that story comes into integration. If someone wanted to get a hold of you, I know that they could go to the internet um, and Google you, uh, Dr. Michelle Getz. Um, uh, you have given us a tremendous home today uh, for what it means. Okay. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's always a joy. Always a joy to speak with you, Martin. Always a joy to um to just be asked some of these questions, and be able to share with one another. It's it's healing for me just as much as I hope maybe someone will take something away from this too. All right. Well, you take care. We'll see you soon. Okay. Time heals all wounds. Join us for our next episode of Healing Stories.